0: Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind the Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow The One Recipe wherever you get your podcasts. In the process of researching this episode, I went on Twitter and typed in Malabar spinach in the search bar. What immediately popped up was a post by Baker Creek Seeds, North America's largest heirloom seed company, on how one of their customers named Stephanie had just grown a successful batch of Malabar spinach, a perennial native to the Indian subcontinent and Southeast Asia. Attached to the post were pictures on how she used its berries as food coloring, as a thickener for cold custards and temporary hair dye for her daughter. So I called her up for more.
1: I'm Stephanie Fredrickson. I live in Texas in the United States and Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds offered Malabar spinach as one of the options to purchase. So I was using the Malabar berries to brighten a blueberry custard I was using to make popsicles. And because the color was staining my fingers, it was just so very pretty. I tried to figure out what other things I could use it for. And then my daughter ran by with her super white hair and I grabbed her and I just started coloring her hair a little bit with what I had on my fingers and it was just beautiful. And so I got her distracted enough that I was able to just take the juice and comb it into her hair and just stain the hair. And it dried and it was still light. A problem that I have with really, really fine hair is that products weigh the hair down and it gets sticky. And it didn't get sticky on her hair. It stayed light and fluffy like it always is. And so she was able to play all day long with purple hair. And when I went to go wash it out, it washed right out with a single shampoo. So it was really fun to play with. I'm Clarissa Way, and you're listening to Climate Cuisine, a podcast
0: that explores how sustainable ingredients are grown and prepared in similar climate zones around the world. Now in the hands of different cultures, one ingredient can take on so many wondrous forms. And as the world faces dramatic upward shifts in our base temperature, climate-centric discussions on crops will become increasingly important to the resiliency of our food systems. This episode is about Malabar spinach, a perennial spinach with thick, shiny leaves and vibrant berries. It has the texture of okra, a bit slimy, but completely workable if you cook them the right way. They also have these vibrant dark berries, which don't have much of a taste to them, but are beautifully colored. I've chosen this plant because if you're in a hot climate, it's one of the easiest things to grow. It thrives in low light conditions and can provide an abundant
1: source of leafy greens all year round. And I live in a climate where I can't grow actual spinach or other greens during the summer because it's very, very hot. And I thought this would be a great option because nutritionally, it looked like it was pretty high in vitamin C and a few other things that spinach has. And so I thought I would give it a go. Um, I knew that it needed trellising, but I didn't I didn't know just how long the vines were going to get, so I had an arbor that it almost took over. I was growing the spinach on a trellis with tomatoes and with snail vine and winged beans. Malabar spinach is just gorgeous. I was using the red vined variety, and at first it was just these red vines with really, really dark leaves, and the leaves taste a lot like spinach, but they have a viscosity to them that some people have described as slimy. To me, it's more like it's got a crunch with a little bit of like some sort of liquid, but it doesn't taste slimy to me. But everyone responds to it differently. So I first tried using it on sandwiches and soups and salads, and I've sauteed it a couple of times. While it was her first time growing it, soon Stephanie really began to experiment with it. I used the berries to make uh, dye for things, but before I knew what to do with that, like my daughter was just snacking on them. The flavor wasn't anything for me. I'm used to more intense. It's almost devoid of sugar and there's no acidity to it. So it kind of just tastes like the leaves. It tastes spinachy. It thickened the blueberry custard that I was using to make the popsicles, which was a really interesting effect. So Stephanie, when you're gardening,
0: are you looking for things that specifically grow well in the Texas climate?
1: You really have to. We have some very extreme weather. During the winter, it gets very, very cold. So some things that would be perennial other places die out and you have to replant. And there are certain things that can't handle the fluctuations of temperatures. Sometimes we will have wintry weather. In the same week, we have 85 to 95 degree weather. You have to figure out what works for your area. And so I experiment with a lot of different things, but it's been really fun for me to try new things that are unfamiliar to me because it just feels like an adventure in your garden and on your family's table.
0: So I learned about you through a Twitter post by Baker Creek Seeds, and they heard about you because you wrote a post about the spinach on their community Facebook page, which went viral. How has the response
1: been to your adventures with Malabar spinach? So some people have decided they're going to try it. So some people are probably going to purchase it for the same reason that I did initially, just to simply have a green that grows during the summer. Some people have shared it and I, I was kind of blown away. <laughs> it was like thousands of likes and a few hundred shares. And so it's, it's kind of cool. I've been having a lot of fun with it. While Malabar spinach might be rather rare in the States, it's actually
0: nothing new in other parts of the world and has been embraced for its robustness for generations generations. It's grown across tropical parts of Africa and Asia and parts of Latin America. A climbing vine that can grow up to 10 feet long, it can grow indoors in low light and withstand drought. It's especially beloved in South Asia where it's sometimes used for its medicinal qualities. The pulp of the spinach can be used to treat sores and the juice can help with constipation. I've been nurturing one for years here in Asia and it is truly and honestly one of the easiest things I've ever grown. It really thrives in the hot weather. In the brutal hot summers of Taiwan when everything in my garden was dying, Malabar spinach was one of the few things that really just kept on going. So as the world gets hotter, it completely makes sense as an alternative food source. To learn more, I called up a plant researcher who has been trying to promote Malabar spinach in Washington, DC.
2: My name is Mamata Hanamappa, and I'm a project specialist in in the College of Agriculture, Urban Sustainability, and Environmental Sciences at the University of the District of Columbia in Washington, D.C., and uh, specialize in ethnic and specialty crops. One of the crops I chose to work on is Malabar spinach.
0: How did you hear about Malabar spinach, and why did you start growing it?
2: I grew up in India, so my mother used to cook that, and we had plants growing in our yard. It's a very common green vegetable. It grows in uh, almost every yard in every house has a a plant. So we've been growing it, and that's part of the research. So I want to we are growing it to see how well it uh, adapts to this climate. We've been very successful, and we're also introducing it to the community because urban agriculture is a big thing here in DC. You know, it's a city where we don't have a lot of land to grow food. And how has the response been? There are already several people that have started growing it, and many more are interested. also eating it. They're growing it as an ornamental crop, also as an ornamental plant, because red Malabar spinach, if you've seen pictures of it or if you've seen the actual plant, it has red stems, succulent, bright green leaves. So it looks very pretty. So it fits into something called edible landscaping. So we've also been promoting that.
0: What are the benefits of growing Malabar spinach?
2: Because it originated in India, it is very heat tolerant and it also to some extent it is drought tolerant because it originated in that part of the world. And it's also supposed to be flood resistant, flood tolerant, which I haven't actually tested yet, but it grows very well here. We have hot summers and it grows very well here and that's something we wanted to introduce to our urban farmers, you know, something that grows in the hot seasons between cool crops. Because they grow a lot of spinach and kale here. So we wanted something in between when they're not growing that.
0: This is something I think about a lot. Our repertoire of leafy greens is quite limited. And they tend to almost all be annuals, meaning that they have to be reseeded and nurtured every year. While things like kale have been the rage for years now, there are other types of leafy greens that are just as delicious and nutritious and take much less effort to grow. The reason why we don't know about these other types of greens is that in America in particular, what were sold in grocery stores online and cookbooks are based on a temperate climate, even though there are different climate zones throughout the United States. Now that our climate is rapidly shifting, it is more important than ever to change our diets.
2: The other thing is that it's highly nutritious and we want to introduce something that is really nutritious and easy to grow because Malabar spinach is, it has no known pest and disease threat so it's very easy to grow also.
0: Unlike conventional spinach, which has to be reseeded constantly, Malabar spinach can grow indefinitely in places that are frost free. So I'm curious, how are the people of the community garden responding to Malabar spinach?
2: Oh, they love it. You know, they just love how pretty it is, first of all. Second, several of them have also used it in their own recipes and sent me the recipe. They like the fact that it's very easy to grow and, you know, you just throw the seed there and it it just keeps growing. It doesn't really need much care. And one plant is more than enough for one family, right? So they really like it. Yeah, I've got very good feedback.
0: And how has climate change affected what you guys grow in Washington, D.C.?
2: because of climate change. You may have heard in summers are getting hotter and most of the crops that grow in temperate regions will probably need to grow them in some dry areas in hotter conditions. So we are seeing that effect already here. Summers are getting a little warm. My research focuses also on introducing crops that are growing in hotter climates, because in the future, those crops may need to be grown here. So we're trying to see what crops will adapt well to our climate. And again, as I said, we are also trying to introduce nutritious crops. And diversity is very important because DCs, we have large immigrant population, so we also want to cater to different people from different ethnic groups.
0: Now let's get into the food. My personal approach to cooking Malabar spinach is rather minimal. I just throw it in a curry or roast it with a sprinkle of salt. How do you cook with it?
2: At home, my mother used to make the dal curry with Malabar spinach, and I also make that. But I also have developed my own recipes at home because I do grow Malabar spinach at home in my yard, even though we also do research uh, here at the university, I have my own plants there. <laughs> so what I do is, my favorite is just to saute with onions, the regular onion, garlic, and all the other ingredients that we use. And you probably are familiar with Indian cuisine, so you know what we use when we do the when we saute. And I just chop it up and saute it, and you know, it's really delicious. Sometimes I also mix it with other greens or other vegetables. I come from the south of India, and the way we have cooked it traditionally is with dal. Uh, You're probably familiar with tur dal, which is very common in India in many Indian cuisines. So we cook it with that as a curry.
0: The spinach can also be made into a fritter, coated with a batter of chickpea flour, rice flour, turmeric, and chili powder, and then deep fried in oil until browned. The plant, though, has a mucousy texture to it. And I feel like for many people, that's the biggest hurdle to get over. So Kate, how do you deal with that?
2: Some people don't like the okra like sap. (laughs) I didn't want to use the word mucilaginous because that kind of puts people off. So I said sap. It doesn't have as much of a mucilaginous okra. Many people like okra. I love okra. But it does have some sap in the leaves. So many people don't like to eat it raw in salads. You know, that's another way to eat it and which I also like, actually. But some people don't like to eat it raw because of the mucilage. So I advise them to saute it or cook it with dal or something.
0: And what are some of the benefits of Malabar spinach?
2: We didn't talk about the nutritious value of the crop. I want to say that kale is pushed as the superfood, but Malabar spinach has about twice as much vitamin A as kale. And it's also rich in vitamin C and iron and calcium and potassium. There's really no information on the nutrition content in the mucilage. But okra, there is there are a lot of articles on the nutrition content of the mucilage in okra. So if we go by that, we can draw some conclusions that Malabar spinach mucilage has high uh, health benefits, very good health benefits in the sense that it is anti-diabetic. It helps in eliminating cholesterol and also it's a detoxifying agent in, in the sense that it kind of eliminates the bacteria that stick to your you know intestine and then gets rid of them.
0: So a big part of this podcast is talking about how people can start to rethink the way they eat based on where they are in the world. How do you recommend people start doing that?
2: If you're interested in growing something that grows in India, let's say, you know, look up common vegetables that are grown there. And if you see something that you like, then you can do more research on the crop. So we advise them on what to, what they can grow. and I have conducted certificate courses in agroecology and sustainable food production in, in DC. So during those courses, we also talk to them about what kind of plants they can grow here. And many of the community gardens here have such kind of plants growing because people from different ethnic groups come together to grow in the community garden. So they bring their own plants. And they like to, you know, share it with others. And I've had people actually send me mail saying, oh, I'm from this region and we grow this there. And I would like you to start growing that at the university so other people can eat it.
0: So I want to introduce you guys to someone who really embodies the spirit of growing plants based on the climate. And that's my friend Kate Nicholson, a New Zealand transplant here in Taiwan. She and her husband have a very prolific rooftop garden in central Taiwan, where Malabar spinach is a highlight.
3: I'm originally from New Zealand, from Auckland, and I've been in Taiwan coming uh, about 12 years, I wanna say. I grow like quite a lot of leafy greens actually, and I kind of use them all in a spinachy way. Yeah, I definitely grow a lot of Malabar spinach in the summertime here in Taiwan. It doesn't really, usually would die down in the winter. I prefers the warmer season. And that one I grow because, actually, I'm not a super fan of the taste, but I like it. How would you describe the taste? I find Melibar spinach has a slightly, I guess, sort of soil taste, I'd say. So some people don't like and Some people obviously don't like the slime. It's kind of like in the same category as okra. Basically, for me, I'll eat anything that I can grow easily in my garden, <laughs> but I do really like it. And so I grow that one though because it grows so well here. It's literally like a weed. And so I grow that because, easy and also it's, it's really versatile like you can add it to smoothies you can add it to anything you'd use in and you can also use it because it's slightly slimy I use it to thicken things like thicken soups thicken sauces um, because that kind of slimy property can act as like a thickening agent
0: and how do you deal with the slime?
3: If you chop it, that slime, I don't actually know what that is, but the slime will come out. Try it raw because the slime doesn't come out as much when you eat it raw. And if you pick the mini, the baby leaf, then you don't have to cut it. So the slime just, you know, comes out like when you eat it, so you don't notice. <laughs> so we know the
0: Malabar spinach is a perennial, meaning that it grows all year round but do you have to maintain it or do anything with it?
3: So the Malabar spinach self-seeds in our garden, so I pretty much don't do anything with that. So that one I use as a summer vegetable. And um, So it's the summertime and in Taiwan, lettuce and uh, some of those like uh, temperate climate leafy greens grow better in the winter. So we tend to use quite a lot of Malabar spinach in salads over the summer because it's hot here, but it's harder to get lettuces or to grow lettuces. So we use that as a summer salad dish. Also in Like I said before, in soups.
0: And Malabar spinach isn't the only perennial out there, right? There's also Okinawa spinach, which can be eaten raw or lightly cooked. Used in tempura stews and soups, it's rich in vitamin A and C. The leaves are dark green with a striking purple underside. And there's also New Zealand spinach, another perennial that is found in the wild or on the edges of shorelines. Native to Asia, Australia, and New Zealand, it is similar to the Malabar spinach in that it can grow all year round. They have arrow-shaped and sweet, tender leaves. Note that while all of these plants have the name spinach in them, they aren't actually true spinaches at all. They're just called that because they can be cooked the same way.
3: So the New Zealand spinach, from when I was young, my my mum always had a garden and my grandparents had a garden. My mum definitely grew New Zealand spinach when I was young, so it's already kind of familiar with it. And it grows wild in New Zealand along the coastlines as well. It's a coastal plant. So it's quite well known in New Zealand nowadays. It's definitely much more palatable, in my opinion, than the Malabar spinach. It doesn't have the slimy texture. It has a really unique, fleshy kind of leaf. Like Malabar, you can eat it raw as well as cooked. And again, I pretty much use it as a spinach substitute and also like as a baby spinach substitute.
0: Hopefully this episode provides you with some inspiration no matter where you are in the world. We focus mostly on perennial greens that thrive in hot weather, but this concept can be applied to any climate. If you're in a temperate zone, greens like dandelion, miner's lettuce, and tree collards grow all year round and can even be found in the wild. The goal again is to shift our diets from what is available at the grocery store because sustainability is so much more than just eating more vegetables and less meat. It's about shifting our reliance from the industrial food system to what can be grown easily in our climates. Climate Cuisine is part of the Whetstone Radio Collective. Next week's episode and the final episode in this season is all about the sweet potato a plant with delicious edible roots and can act as a beautiful ground cover in hot climates. The sweet potato is not only more nutritious than the regular potato, but it is relatively pest-free and is much easier to grow. We'll talk to a researcher from the International Potato Center in Peru and a woman who lives off the grid in Costa Rica and uses sweet potato as a ground cover and a hearty food source. Thank you to the Climate Cuisine team co producer and audio editor Kat Hong, researcher Olivia Maeda, production assistant Xin Yun, and intern Indio Clarkson. I'd also like to thank Whetstone founder Stephen Satterfield, Whetstone Radio Collective executive producer Celine Glazier, sound engineer Max Katolchuk, associate producer Quentin LeBeau, and sound intern Simon Lavender. You can learn more about this podcast at whetstoneradio.com, on Instagram and Twitter at Whetstone Radio, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Whetstone Radio Collective, for more podcast video content. And you can learn more about all things happening at whetstone at whetstonemedia.com.